with me are my co-host, Dixie Cochran. Hi there. And Meredith Gerber. Hello. Wait, wait, wait. Who? <laughs> what, 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 what? You, usually you say and Matthew Dawkins. Well, yes, but I A, Matthew Dawkins is not here, and B, Meredith's name is not Matthew Dawkins. So I think you were just going to go with like a whole like Mandela effect thing of like, no, Dixie, it's always been Meredith Gerber. Oh, God. You know what? I, I, I figured like gaslighting <laughs> you on the podcast would be a great idea. <laughs> Great start, I mean, hot start. For like, for like a thirty second bit, I would have been okay with it. That's fair. To like fair. a you know whole episode of, of of just mental torture. Well, I mean, to, to be fair, last, last I checked, it is a no bones day, so I'm kind of taking it a little easy. Is it a no bones day? Well, it was. I haven't seen today's uh, yet, but yesterday was no bones day, so I'm kind of rolling with that. See, for me, yesterday was a bones day that turned into a no bones day as the day oh. went on, and I developed a terrible allergy attack. So. We should probably explain this. Um, <laughs> there, there is an account on TikTok, uh, John Graz, J O N G R A Z, and he has a pug named Noodle who's 13 years old and adorable and reminds me very much of my 13 year old pug. Um, no. And so every day he will pick Noodle up in his bed and stand him up. And if Noodle stands up, then it's a Bones Day and you should, you know, take charge of your life and get things done because it's going to be a good day. And if it's a no bones day, then you should take care of yourself and take and ease up and relax. Cause you know, if, 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 if this thing noodles up and noodle falls over, okay, well, obviously it's a, a no bones day. Yeah. Now because, what I will point out is that I've seen a few uh, disabled creators on TikTok and also some of my friends say like, the pug is very cute, and I'm glad you get it. But we've literally been trying to explain this to you as spoons for like years. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yep, mm, fair. And so it's like Completely fair. it's like cool if the pug analogy like makes you understand spoon or spell slot theory for people that have you know either a disability or an neurodivergence or something that means they can't get stuff done. Um, and the pug is very very cute, so yes. I'll take it. Also, there is now a very loud sound outside my window, so that's fun. It's yeah. Um, we should note that um, uh, we're at that awkward stage weather-wise where it's not quite warm, not quite cool. So some of us have windows open, so you may hear yeah. the occasional sound effect in the background. We will live with it. That is just the nature of 2021. I mean, just pretend like I suddenly live next to an airport because that was definitely like a plane or something. And there are no airports near me. I'm very confused. But <laughs> either way, it's just a cool, like, whether you choose to do, you know, spoons, which I know a lot of uh, folks want to keep reserved for disabled folks mm -hmm. or you want to say spell slots which i know that meredith says sometimes yes. and i say a lot uh because we are neurodiverse and sometimes our brains are like no um or if you want to say you know no bones or bones all of them work they're all good the plug is incredibly valid. cute and very chunky so mm -hmm. and it's it's it I, I personally obviously gravitate to it for i mean First, the extremely obvious reason. You like pugs? I, I know. It, it's, not, like, it's not in my company name and also the name of my game or anything. <laughs> um, but also, you're right. I mean, it is a cute kind of analogy for uh, a particularly invisible disabilities. Um, so it's mm -hmm. nice. You know, I just, I got no bones today. And it's like, okay, you know, I get it. Um, you're right. It's, it's, it, it is frustrating because certainly it's something that, that, that folks have been trying to explain for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes people just need a different approach and a different vector. Um, and it's it's interesting how people kind of latch onto things, right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of, of latching onto things, um, oh. before we go into this, um, I, I have invited Meredith here as an outside observer to uh, our ongoing discussion of, let's call it musical fraud on the podcast. What is happening? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so for Meredith's context, um, uh, uh, Actually, I think Meredith Batchy might know some of this stuff. Uh, uh, in um, one of the, um, uh, there's a composer called Mamoru Samaraguchi, uh, who turned out to be just a complete fraud, uh, but did the soundtrack for the Resident Evil director's cut. And the there's like this one part where it's just farty horns, just, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> and since then, we've kind of had this informal thread of looking at um, just musical, but you know, I call it musical fraud. Like Matthew, at one point in time, uh, played for us a snippet of the Raw theme song from WWE from like 15 years ago. Oh, and it was tried so to ask bad. us what the lyrics were, and we both got them horribly wrong. <laughs> oh, no. Um, so. <laughs> I have posted a link uh, for I want you both to listen to. You only need to listen to a few seconds of this. And okay. as 
Meredith and Dixie, you're listening, I will say that I'll also put a clip now. Oh, gosh, ads. This is exciting. <laughs> so, um... Hang on. Listen to the music. Listen to the whole thing? Yeah, okay. we're jamming. Hang on. <laughs> Let us drive. Okay, I think I get the gist of it now. Right. Um, okay, so, okay, I'm turning it off. Uh, 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 this is the theme song to an anime called The Big O, uh, which came out in early 2000. Really? I, I just, couldn't tell from the lyrics of the song. I know, it's shocking. <laughs> um, I Big just, O! I just discovered it recently. Big O! Would it surprise you to know that this song was actually never used again because someone claimed that there was an infringement of copyright? Wait, what? On what? Does it remind you of another song, perhaps? Uh, Flash? Uh, yeah, kind of. No, yeah. Uh, I, I have no idea. What is the other song? Uh, uh, it, is, it is, in fact, very reminiscent of... Um, I actually don't name the song. It's from Queen. It's, it's I, the Flash Queen theme song, but there's so, a yeah, name yeah. for it. So it is Flash, okay. Right, yeah. I don't think it's that similar. I mean, yes, it is similar in that, like... There's somebody being like, "I know, do 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 right. do do. I know." Like, <laughs> I I don't feel like high note and then like chunk 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 is that copyrightable? But all right. Well, that was what was was interesting to me because this okay. So this whole show is is fascinating to me. Um, it it apparently came about because one of the Japanese studios who did Batman the animated series got mad that there was no more Batman the animated series to do. So they did a show about a rich guy with a butler who fights crime. And he does it in a very Bruce Tim Batman the Animated Series style. Now, instead of dressing up as Batman, he uses a giant robot because it's Japanese cartoons in the early 2000s. Sure. But, um, and then you get this theme song. And it's just like an interest. Where's the line between homage and theft, right? Right. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Because when I first heard this song, I'm like, okay, I know what they're going for, mm-hmm. but is it too strong to be homage? Yeah, I don't know, honestly. Like, I have, I have had, you know, I, 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 I follow some of the musical drama that happens every now and then, like the recent um, Paramore versus Olivia Rodrigo thing, which I don't know if you're familiar with. I, I am imagine. not. Could you please? Uh, they're like. Essentially, there is an Olivia Rodrigo song off of her album Sour that was like the the big hit of last summer uh, that sounds a lot like Misery Business, <laughs> mm. um, if you break it down. But in, in, in my, like and like she she has come out and said that it was influenced by that song. She grew up with that song because she's she's younger. Mm. And also that like, I think that she's given the lead singer to Paramore uh, like a, a, a writing credit now. Because okay. it, it like it clearly is influenced by it, mm-hmm. but it's like part of it is, and then part of it's kind of different. And at what point do you get to copyright the way notes are put together? And I've I've always found that fascinating mm-hmm. because every time it comes up, whether it's you know uh, someone using someone else's beat without their permission, or like is that allowed if it's a cover song? Because cover songs are allowed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of like Taylor Swift re-recording her album. To get away from her, you know, old contract, where it's like, right. well, it's 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 cover songs of myself. Um, oh, interesting. So mm. yeah, so like I I always find that fascinating, and there are people who do this as their you know expert level day job, and not me sitting here reading about it on Twitter. So right. yeah, but like, but then you also get into you know the concept like you know the whole leitmotif. You know, it's like right. Um, uh, let's see Star Trek example. It, you know, it's it's been around for a very long time. There's been a lot of different theme songs and movies and TV shows and whatnot. And sometimes people say a song a, a song doesn't feel good with Star Trek enough right. if it doesn't have that dun, 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 you know like that whole sting that's so yeah. iconic to the show. But like, can you, you know, it's like, is it, can you possibly do music that doesn't involve that bit? Um, so it's like, you almost kind of need to, in some cases, incorporate, you know, the discovery theme, um, it puts it in right at the end. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, but the rest of the song doesn't really fit with that arrangement almost. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it, it's a weird, it, 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 I find it fascinating that music is kind of this weird case. So it's not quite, uh, it's a performance piece, but it's also something that we now currently have a way to kind of enshrine, more like paintings or sculpture. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. There is there, there's been so much talk recently about homage versus theft. Um, most notoriously recently in that bad art friend New York Times thing that went viral, mm-hmm. uh, which I will not be rehashing here. There are eight thousand podcasts who have done so. Okay. Um, but like, it's 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 odd to me to talk about like when and where you cross the line into plagiarism because I had that happen a lot even when I was in college, where like you're writing a paper on something, and there's already somebody out there from your research who's written mm-hmm. the paragraph that you want to write perfectly. So like you quote them, which you you can do obviously in like academic papers, but also if it's like a whole ass paragraph, is it better just to kind of rewrite it in your own words? Mm-hmm. To say the same thing, essentially, but differently so that you're not plagiarizing. Right. Like, if the exact same idea and some of the words are still there, because obviously you're still going to use some of the same words, mm-hmm. then, like, when does it cross the line? And that that always gave me anxiety when I was in college. Like, I would run all my papers through plagiarism checkers, because I was like, what if someone already used this sentence about this right. topic? Right. And I just don't know about it. Right. Um, and you you see that a lot in, in TTRPGs, you see it a lot in video games where someone's like, oh, it's a ripoff of this. Or like, I know that when Hunger Games came out, for instance, everybody was like, it's a ripoff of Battle Royale. And I was like, the concepts are moderately similar mm-hmm. in that children are killing each other. That's, that's the base concept for both movies. Mm-hmm. But like, they are vastly different movies. And it's okay if the author of Hunger Games was inspired by Battle Royale. Right. To like do something that has that that really 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 basic premise, mm-hmm. but the rest of the world is completely different in both of those books, and I'm like I don't understand. Yeah, but even like you know for visual illustration, I mean you know, uh, right. uh, Meredith even talked this too. But like you know, when you use a piece to inspire your current piece, you know that that gets blurry too. Yeah, hundred mm-hmm. percent. Like I mean, y'all have seen like I've done projects based off of things but you know things yeah. that inspire me like I, I did you know the the god and goddess project like those have been around for a long time you know what mm-hmm. i mean like and it's just one of those things where like yeah like it's been done by other photographers and stuff like that but like has it been done my way and like if it has been done my way like you know that i've been thinking like how close is it type of deal. Mm -hmm. And there is that line. Like it's really, really hard because so many things can, I just feel that music and visuals and just all sorts of art inspire people in different ways. And I just, it's hard to, again, like not have similar ideas. You know what I mean? Like obviously not identical, but I just, Yeah. yeah, it's just, that's kind of how our brains work. One of the other weird wrinkles to that that I've I've always kind of mulled over uh, just because of the kind of art I do. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, any art that I do is usually portraiture. Like I like doing realistic portraits of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And generally, I'm 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 working off a photograph because that's yeah. what you do when you're drawing a portrait of somebody. Right. right. And like I am not this level, but I have seen people out there, whether it's digital or colored pencil or whatever, who do photorealistic portraits off of photographs. Right. And so at that point is the credit to the photographer or the artist, because the artist spent hundreds of hours probably painstakingly recreating it. Mm-hmm. Right. But if it looks exactly like the photo from like two feet away, yeah, it's really hard to figure out whose work that is. I have, I've, I've always found it interesting because I do portraiture and my dad does some portraiture. And so it's just like a whole like confusing mess of like, when is it fan art and when is it just copying or whatever? And like, Especially if you're someone like I have a few friends who do it with like a, a light box so they can yeah. trace the like right. initial outline. Right. Mm-hmm. And they don't do the whole thing with a light box, but they do a lot of the, the line work. And so like they are tracing on some level. And sure. then and and then you get to the you know argument about if comic book inkers are artists and all this other right. stuff. And it's just Ugh. there's just so much nuance to all of it. Yeah. That we would have to do an entire separate podcast yeah. <laughs> to like break it all down. Yeah. I think of uh Tim Bradstreet actually. Uh I was yeah. thinking, yeah. specifically because I, when when I when when I think about it, like for example, um in V twenty the girl in the red dress, I took that photo, but Tim right. Bradstreet drew it. But like in my head, I'm like, oh, like this is a, this is a tag team effort. We did this right. together. Um, you know what I mean? Like I took the photo, Tim took, took it and re essentially remade it, um, where it is still the likeness. Like, like you can tell that that model is, is Heidi. You can tell that right. like that's off the photo, 
this is a tag effort. It's it's right. somebody is is drawing off of something that has already been created by another artist, and it's just I kind of like a mixed medium. You know what I mean? Which in that regard, right? But part of the argument there that is interesting too is like if 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 you took the photo and got paid for it to go in the book, that's one thing, right? Because mm. it literally is a tag team effort. Yeah. Um. Or if or if Tim paid you, or if Mark Kelly paid a photographer, sure. Whoever right. else. But what if I pull a picture off the internet? And I don't know who the photographer even is. It's like a Getty Images picture. And like, then I just use that to do my art and then I sell my art for five hundred dollars. <laughs> it's a it's a tough it's a tough line because right? what are you what do you it, here's 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 the thing. So here's my thing. So let's say like because if it's a if it's like a sock photo, okay, like of an unsplash where right. like Artists are like, whatever, man. We don't care what, we, what you do. Yeah. All of um, my computer backgrounds are unsplashed right now. One of them is actually the one you edited for me because I use hey. my Twitch graphics as my computer background. Oh, nice. yay. Um, yeah, fun fact uh, for listeners out there, Unsplash uh, is a great free photos um, that photographers just dump in there. Yep. And they don't Unsplash. care, right? Com. Um, I love it. Mm-hmm. I think that there should be see like the thing is is like it depends like it really depends on the subject it depends on like how much work was put into it it, it depends on like so many factors that i think it right. like the tldr is it's a case-by-case basis exactly because like if you have that issue with a photograph of i don't know brad pitt right like let's 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 say that i draw brad pitt from an interview with the vampire still um that has been around for you know 30 plus years <laughs> sure that it's like okay this is a, a picture that exists on the internet yeah and anybody can find it no one knows who took it originally at this point etc mm-hmm. etc et but also like if you take that same thing and translate it to a more like even more physical tangible medium what if you recreate a costume from a show mm-hmm. by looking at photos or watching the show right then does the credit go to the costume designer or to you for creating like it's so confusing and i love it and i love giving attribution anytime you can yeah but also some of the cases are just so muddy and weird like if i pull a you know 50 year old picture of a musician off the internet i often am not going to know who took it no it's gonna be hard to find out unless it's like a very famous photographer right right so anyway that was an interesting like weird digression that's not what we're here to talk <laughs> about at no all. but i mean I it's thought art it was- well, that was, <laughs> right. that's why I actually brought it up because I, I thought like the because all of us are artists in our own way, obviously. But I know both of you uh, explicitly do art in other mediums. So I thought it might be an interesting mm-hmm. discussion, um, and then actually lead to my topic is because I think one of the things that all this kind of stems from is the fact that we build on the foundation of what we came before, right? Um, and so I think that's why sites like Drive Through RPG, which is well, we are here to talk about today hey. um, is really helpful Ew. because not only is it just a, a storefront, but it's so much more. And one of those is actually kind of uh, of preservation of older games that otherwise would probably mm-hmm. disappeared. Absolutely, um, yeah. Which is, very- but we'll get we'll get to that. Um, uh, I think probably the best way to start, Meredith, actually is we've already done your origin story, as it were, in a previous episode, so we can kind of skip over that. But I think for a recap, people maybe missed that. What is your role at Drive Through RPG? Sure. Um, so my role at Drive Through RPG uh, currently is the Century Publisher Relations Representative, um, mm-hmm. which is a new position um, because we used to have it um, where my coworker Adriel is has my old position, which is the indie publisher relations representative. Um, so I take care of the top one hundred publishers um, as as of the time of this recording. Uh, it's one hundred. Is it top by revenue? Top by overall revenue in the past year. Okay, cool. So once a year we will check. I think it's usually in like July. We will, we'll like pull down who are the top 100 publishers because it moves. Um, You know what I mean? It definitely moves. Um, We have usually the same top 10, um, but I, I mean, everyone else after that, I've watched publishers shift on and off or, uh, brand spanking new publishers uh, get all the way up, you know, you know, in the twenties or thirties. Uh, so yeah, that's what I, I take care of. Um, and essentially the easiest way to explain my job is I do customer service for our publishers, uh, for our clients, for those 100. Uh, and that includes their community content programs as well. Uh, so if, uh, for example, um, let me think, uh, Chaosium is one of my uh, clients 
mm-hmm. they have Miskatonic Repository. So I take care of also Miskatonic Repository and essentially help their creators uh, since Chaosium right. is my client. So, right. yeah. Um, and so I think that's one of, one of the big rabbit holes like I eventually want to go down. But I mean, one of the things at the top is that when DriveThruRPG is not just kind of a bump on our road. One of the things that I think is important to folks to realize for publishers like Onyx Path is that having a business partner like DriveThruRPG should be a bigger part of your production process because you guys do offer so much, oh so many gosh. options. You're not just a place where we go, we upload files and go, cool. They will now be purchased by people. You know, yeah. there, there, there's so much more that kind of comes with that. Uh, I know one of the things that are a lot of people take for granted, frankly, now is the, the print-on-demand integration. Because I remember when that was not the case. Oh. You had to go to a separate POD publisher and negotiate with them. Um, and the fact that DriveThruRPG basically has a POD option is, mm-hmm. I believe, unique. Am I right? Yeah. I believe. I want to say, as as far as my knowledge is currently concerned, yes, it is. Unique. Or at least very rare. Let's, very we rare. Say we'll that. say very rare. Yeah, because I, I'm because <laughs> yeah, I don't want as I'm in the comments being like, here's five that I that I know sure. of. Sure. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> right. oh no, oh no. <laughs> so yeah. Go ahead. But I mean, yeah, and so like, you guys also handle. Am I correct in understanding you guys handle things like? discussion business discussions with that those publishers and yes. getting more publishers on board like printers i'm talking about here specifically um like getting you know more machines to print more books yeah absolutely uh, so so like how does what's some of the stuff that maybe people don't realize about like the print and demand portion of it you know is there something like you wish all fans and publishers really knew about uh print and demand and how Meredith's that works and gonna, things that you guys hand on the- i'm sorry i was gonna say she's gonna talk for like 30 minutes now <laughs> I just took it. I just took a deep breath because I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, let's talk about print on demand. Um, so for the listeners that don't know, um, print on demand is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, it essentially means that uh, we'll take we'll we'll take Onyx Path because we're talking about Onyx Path here. Sure. So what happens is is that Rich Thomas or Eddie or Dixie do not have to a have a warehouse um, where they store these books, right? If they're going to go to several conventions or anything like that, they don't have to be like, okay, I have to order like a thousand. We have to keep them here type of deal and do their own distribution where they have to sit there and, and essentially box up and ship out. Uh, although that is an option for publishers if they would like. Yeah. Um, which, which we did used to have a lot more physical copies to take to conventions and sell. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, our warehouse was called one of our coworkers garages. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um, exactly. And that's, that's, that's a lot to ask of anybody to be like, can you keep these, you know, 50 boxes of incredibly heavy hardback books in your garage and then schlep them to any yeah. uh, convention that we might want to go to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, Print on demand is on demand. And the other thing that's nice about it too is like you, the publisher just, you just sit back and essentially let it happen. So like for me, like I love physical copies. Um, I prefer physical copies over digital because uh, I'm a post-it person. So I like put post-its and bookmarks and stuff in it. Um, you can do that digitally. I know uh, peanut right. gallery that's not here, uh, but <laughs> point though. <laughs> um, I, hear, I, I hear you tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear it from a mile don't away. Don't at us. Don't at me. Don't at me. Don't at Dixie. Don't at Eddie. Um, so one of the things, though, I mean, that is is so important about that is that this is that's forever, right? Like is right. you never run out of inventory. You never run into situations where you, essentially a printer can close. Like we have a massive printer. We, we deal with lightning source. They deal with thousands and millions of clients like this is not a it's not a small press um it's not one that you know relies specifically on like one to two clients it's it's a lot of clients which is good um the other thing too that's nice about pod is that i mean our industry has been around for a long time uh mm-hmm. and there are times where you know back in the 80s and even 90s 70s oh god it's it's so long um <laughs> back then <laughs> the thing is is that they you know they did small press right and then they stopped selling it yep and they're like well we're done and then you have fans who are like hey like 
I would love a copy of like, you know, the 1980s version of this edition. Right. And with us, we're like, cool. Okay. Like we're going to try that. So, you know, we'll reach out to the client to see if like they want to do it, if they have the files, because we're happy to help them with it. That's the other thing too, is like, we're not just like, Hey, can you put this on print? Thanks. And then never talk to them again. It's, Hey, what do we need to do to get this in print? Um, right. And that includes getting our production team on it um, to help. Cause sometimes they're like cork files, you know, they're files that are really, really not up to speed uh, on our, you know, current platform, but we'll help out to make sure um, we have a ton. I mean, like you look at Wizards of the coast. We have, we have some out of print books. We have uh, chaosium has got a bunch of out of print books and it's, it's good. You know, people really want to have that, and again, mm-hmm. it, it helps the demand, you know what I mean? Because like sometimes you look at out of print books and on eBay, they're like thousands of dollars. Like that's right. I mean, great for that person that, you know, that they're trying to sell it off. But like there are people who are like, I just want this for nostalgic purposes or I liked this specific edition and I want only this edition. Like, absolutely. We want to be able to help and give it to them. Yeah, I know that like my my boyfriend recently, because he's he's an Eagle Scout, he was recently in the uh, market for like the original Boy Scout handbook, just because he was like, I want to see all the weird old illustrations and stuff. Yeah. And I do believe he just found like a print on demand version because like it is it is definitely not an original. <laughs> yeah. It right. is it is a kind of strange repro, but it serves the purpose. It's all he wanted, you know? Yeah, exactly. But the thing is that, that, that that's not an easy process, you know? I mean, like, um, you, like you said, like, you know, there may be old files that you have to cover. I remember uh, for some of the early White Wolf books, um, back when, uh, well, back when White Wolf was still a thing, I should say, um, but there also was a little more integrated with uh, one bookshelf. Um, we were doing things like trying to find old Macintosh computers online so we can get the files uploaded into those old Mac computers and then convert them into a more modern format that we mm-hmm. can then actually be read by modern computers. Right. Um, but also like, you know, uh, uh, slicing and scanning and then fixing those scanned files to make sure that they're they're readable and they're, they're legible um, and printable. Uh, those, yeah. that, that all takes work. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that one of my favorite things is every now and then somebody will be like, why does this, quote, like an incredibly obscure World of Darkness book from 1995 look like crap on Drive RPG? And it's like, it's a scan of a book from 1995. Yeah. Because we don't have those files anymore because it was made in 1995. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, like some of those books, particularly the, the really early ones, I know Rich and I have talked about the fact that, uh, the reason why there are no files as files is because they were pasted up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they literally just pasted the art onto the page. They printed out and pasted the text onto the page and you sent that to a, a scanner and those fi- those flimsy films then got sent to the printer. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, those films don't exist anymore. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll do our best is, is kind of where we're at, you know, and that, and that can happen. And there are times too that we have like gone to like noble night games like to be like hey do you have this like super obscure out of print book um and and scanned it that way too i mean there's a there's a ton of different ways that we can do it but yeah we want to make sure that everything is available for the customer because even if you only have like 100 people who buy that book like that's 100 very happy people because they've been looking for it forever you know so Right. Um, and sometimes old games end up having a small bit of a renaissance. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly the old school renaissance is a very literal interpretation of that, you know, mm-hmm. of people who play particularly old versions of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, but, you know, there are other games that still have a strong, active uh, fan base today. Um, you know, like Palladium, for example, yeah. recently got added to Drive Through RPG. But you know, so some of their rule books were first published in the late '90s, and mm-hmm. they still have an active fan base today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know to kind of move on is that some, one of the other things that y'all are doing, trying to build a community around these games. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you have um, a YouTube channel where you do occasional uh, videos, including one involving looking at past games, perhaps. History check. Can you tell us about History Check? History Check is with me and Eddie. Um, there you go. That's the whole show. That's, the whole <laughs> that's the show. 
Um, <laughs> Eddie and I, since we've known each other, which has been, oh God, well over a decade. Um, yeah. We, mm-hmm. Eddie would always like tell me about like cool industry facts, like, or like I would be talking about a client, you know, that I just got, I'm like, oh, I just got this client. He's like, oh, okay, cool. Like, did you know? Um, and so we essentially put that into a Twitch format. Uh, it's now moved to our YouTube, which is youtube.com backslash one bookshelf, where Eddie basically, it's an interview style where Eddie tells me about a book. Um, and it's very cool because we essentially look into books that don't get a lot of, you know, traction. You know what I mean? Like when you're talking right. about the past and, and the things that have happened in the industry, um, and so it's, it's neat. And, and, you know, I look over it as a designer, Eddie looks over it as like the actual history of it and the people involved and how it's evolved into now and mm-hmm. how it's been an influence. And so it's very cool in that regard. Um, not just cause Eddie and I are on it, uh, some a little bias, but, uh, that is the main reason. Why that is cool, the but... main reason it's cool. <laughs> um, you can see mine and Eddie's faces. But it's fun because, like, I just get to sit and listen, um, and it's it's there's just a lot of really cool nuggets. And like I said, the coolest thing is like when you start seeing the parallels with like today, like where you're like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, cool, like that's really awesome that 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 you know might have been an inspiration to how people do it today. So it's very neat, right? And and the nice thing about history, part of the reason why I actually. Uh, uh, talked to Meredith about doing it is that I, I've been trying to focus on games that I know you can buy so that you can look at these things if you wanted to. Um, and also helps me to kind of skim through the PDF and remind myself kind of, because I remember there's stuff I've, I've forgotten about these games. Like, oh, I forgot this game did that. Um, but it, it's also neat to look at the early 90s horror games and not talk about the world darkness, but talk about something like, say, Nephilim uh, from Chaosium, uh, which is much more about what game companies are doing in response to big games like uh, uh, Vampire the Masquerade or um, we did uh, Bunnies and Burrows, which is kind of, okay, what happens when people who are annoyed with TSR want to make their own tabletop role-playing game in the 70s? Yeah. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think because you guys have done it so well, people almost forget the fact that you couldn't have put your hands on a copy of the 70s edition of Bunnies and Burrows 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have found a copy of Nephilim except for on eBay back then and we again said we've gone just hundreds of dollars um so it's it there's a lot of hidden benefits that people just go oh it's just the storefront but like nobody else is doing this nobody else is, is taking this extra effort um you know it's it's kind of similar to uh on the video game side sites like good old games gog.com um where they would try to take the effort to make older games playable on modern systems and keep them alive and active uh and it's just a really hard effort. But I mean, like, beyond that, you know, let's talk about the community content programs, which mm-hmm. are massive. And oh again, God. something that just wasn't a thing, you know, having a company sanctions site where fans can create and sell their own material. Right. The DMs guild is gigantic. Huge. Yeah. I mean, huge. Can we talk a little bit about like, you know, DMs guild and the community content programs? Cause they, I, again, I think it's something people just don't realize how amazing this is. Yeah. DMs guild is, I, I have to give applause to Lisa Penrose cause Lisa has been a really good brand manager for DMs guild. Absolutely. Uh, and has really cultivated a really solid community. Um, and they're, they're all like so uplifting and loving of each other. And it's just very sweet. Um, but it's, it's fascinating to watch that. And so we launched DMs Guild and I mean, I remember when community content first started, it was, it was a little, it was a little strange, like, because it's like, okay, like we're going to allow anyone to to follow a couple rules and, and make their own stuff. Like, let's see how this goes. And, and, and DMs Guild exploded. Um, and a lot of the community content programs have exploded, um, I mentioned Chaosium's Miskatonic Repository. When they first came to me, I was like, okay, let's do it, you know? Because um, it's always, you don't know how it's going to go until it launches. Right. And Miskatonic Repository is massive. Uh, they have stuff from, like, Korea that have literally hit top sellers. Like, wow. it's 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 so wild. And, like, it, it just keeps getting bigger. And it's, we have so many now, um, and just so many, like, good ones that have so many different 
options. You have, you know, from Fat Dragon, you have Dragon Byte, which is like STL files, like for 3D mm -hmm. printing um, that people can just mm -hmm. create under that license. Um, you have, of course, our, you know, Onyx Path community content, not to do shameless plug. But I'm no, there's definitely plug. ways to do shameless plugs. I mean, I mean shameless you know. plugs. It's an Onyx Path podcast. <laughs> yeah, so we're gonna welcome. shameless plugging. Um, you know, and and Pugmire too. You know, and the um, Canis Meyer. I mm -hmm. almost said Realms of Pugmire, and I was like, that is incorrect, Meredith. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Canis Minor. It's the freaking star. Um, so, uh, you know, and it's 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 again, it's wild and it's fun because like I have friends who are like, hey, I picked up this, you know uh pugmire book and i'm like what is it and that's you know and it's it's a community content title and i'm like i'm like what like it's just it's so cool you know what i mean like that people use it you know what i mean and it's the same thing across like dm's guild there's so many people who use all sorts of material that it's not just a bunch of creators making stuff like people actually use it in their games and mm -hmm. they really really love it and some of those games have been up for ennies. Like it's yeah. it's so so wild. Like we had a ton from Miskatonic Repository in, in Jonestown and mm -hmm. uh DMs Guild this year in that were any nominees. Like That's it's awesome. wild, you know. So I mean, also just like very recently as of time of recording, uh, they unlocked the V five storytellers vault. And oh my god, like there's some stuff that people were itching for and a lot of it was like player's guide to the spot, you know, or like right. various cities by night. And a lot of these things people had been homebrewing or using in their home campaigns for a while. So they already like had the PDFs ready to go. Right. Um, yeah. And that was really, really, really cool to see how, how successful that launch was. I had a lot of, uh, a lot of creators who were friends of mine who were, who were talking about all their sales and, and how, yeah. how well they were doing. And, and again, this is a massive shift because I remember, 10 years ago, well, when I was working at CCP, actually, well, longer now, geez, I just did the math. Um, that would have been like 12, 13 years ago. Um, I was the guy who sometimes had to go to fan websites and send cease and assists. Yeah. You know, because they would do this really cool looking PDF of, you know, their take on Clan Book of Sombra or whatever. And it's like, no, I'm sorry, you, know, you can't do that because we don't have the, the structure for that. And, uh, you know, we had to get the dark packed guidelines, or dark pack, sorry, uh, not packed, although probably also accurate. <laughs> um, you know, but the dark pack website guidelines like this is what you can and can't quote from. This is what we'll allow. Um, and we were more permissive than other RPG companies at the time. But that was still very strict. And now it's like, here's this whole program where you can use the original art assets. You can, you know, riff off of the existing books and sell it legally. And everyone gets a cut, you know, and, and again, like on the back ends, it's so easy because drive through RPG takes care of it. Mm -hmm. We literally just assign who gets mm -hmm. royalties and it just goes into a bank account or it goes into your account that you have to withdraw it to your PayPal or whatever. But I mean, mm -hmm. it just happens. No yep. one has to manually give people money or pay things. Every time that, every time someone clicks buy and that money goes through the system, it gets sent to the right people at the right time every single time. And mm -hmm. just, you don't have to worry about it again. Yeah. Just so sit back and let the money come in. Yeah. That's the nice thing too is like, you literally sign in as your customer account. You pick the world you want, you know, whatever community content program, load up your stuff. And um, as long as it follows the rules and has the right trade dress, like you're good to go. And then mm -hmm. after that, you know, it's, it happens automatically. You make a sale, like you get money. That's it. Um, you don't have to talk to the publisher, you know, and say, mm -hmm. Hey, please give me money. Uh, it also, it just automatically happens. Um, the cuts just happen and it, it's good in that regard. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just a, a great way to take the games that you're, that you essentially you're running at, at your, at your house or online that you're like, wow, this is a really good plot. Like all my players really loved it and I want to share it with the world. Now you can. And yeah. that's cool. Yeah. There are quite a few of our, like our, writers who have written on you know quote-unquote official v5 products which they are like stuff like chicago by night or children of the blood mm -hmm. or Forbidden religions who also do storytellers vault supplements and same for like a lot of our scion writers yeah mm -hmm. um because sometimes there's something that we're just not gonna get to covering or they have like a really niche interest mm -hmm. um and so they want to expand on that niche interest whereas you know we we might only have five thousand words for a, a, a a pantheon which when you break it down to you know 10 or 12 gods and and and, and goddesses and whatever like that's 
that's not that much words. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a few paragraphs each at most, yeah. Which is a beautiful sentence I just said. That's not that much words. Um, <laughs> I write for a living and edit. Um, anyway. Uh, do you, do you I mean, really? Yes. I, <laughs> I, I get paid to do something. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so like um, there are people who have, you know, researched that religion or whatever and, and, and want to write 15,000 words on it. And right. it's like, you do you. Like, we can't pay for that because it's not part of our book, but Storyteller's Vault will pay you for that. Or, you know, StoryPath, Nexus, or Canis Minor, or whichever project you're you're throwing up there. Yeah, or, or you know, excellent example is uh, Rose Bailey. Um, Rose oh, Bailey yeah. had, had her own thoughts about how she how to designed... to for Vampire the Requiem, right? Yeah, she's like, what, what she had in mind for Vampire the Requiem, second edition, and just basically said, I have a bunch of thoughts on how people, you know, it was like, put together a document for how people can write to be more authentic. Um, and she was going to give it away. I think it was uh, Matt McCower. I was like, oh, just put it up on, on Storyteller's Vault. And it sells a lot. Um, it sells really, really well because it's a fantastic mm -hmm. look into that. But again, it's not something you yeah. publish. Um, th those kind of designer thoughts are interesting to a very specific subsection of the audience, but they yeah. are very passionate and they will buy it. 100%. That's, that's the thing is, again, is like, yeah, you're putting it out into the world to be like, hey, like, look what my players did with me. But really, like, people will probably use it in their own games. Like, and that's just, it's it's a nice, like, warm, fuzzy feeling, um, I think, is that you're, you're essentially, your story is, is being told by, you know, a different group. And, like, how are they going to do it their way? Um, you know, like, it's just, it's just very neat. It's very neat. Totally. And then, you know, uh, you guys also help publishers out with things like marketing, sales, mm -hmm. for example. 100%. Um, you guys are constantly doing sales. <gasps> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, we... And, and uh, if I understand correctly, um, publishers can opt into or ask for or try to organize their own sales. I know I like, for example, mm -hmm. uh, the Wolf Newt sale the, the past couple of years I've worked with, with you on. Right. Um, because it was a very dog-centric thing. You know, like, hey, Pugmire, Pugsteady. Yeah, it makes sense for me to kind of lead the charge yes. on that. Um, but like if there are things like say the um teacher kids the game thing, I just Pugmire products just show up, you know, and and yeah. so like you guys have like an opt-in, opt-out list, right? Yeah. So how it works is um a publisher will sign in and they will say, uh, you know, they can choose how long a title has been out. Um, or they can be like, I don't want to discount anything that, you know, is ninety, you know, ninety days or under. Sure. Um, out, you know, like, or I don't want to discount these five books or I don't want to opt in at all, which is not suggested, um, because their sales are great. Um, uh, it's great exposure, uh, for publishers because we find that if someone said like, for example, goes and is like, Oh, the Pugmire core rule book is on sale during the teacher kids to game. Nine times out of 10, they're going to be like, oh, there are more books yep. with mm -hmm. Pugmire. So now we're going to buy the entire collection. And like, that's just how that works, you know, which is, is really good. We uh, right now we're having the Halloween sale. Uh, so it's very spooky deals, uh, but spooky deals, spooky <laughs> deals. Uh, so, yeah, so people can opt in, opt out. And we usually pull from a specific filter um, or a specific keyword uh, sometimes. Uh, it depends on what marketing wants to do. Uh, and then if we have like doorbusters, uh, we will reach out to, you know, specific publishers and say, Hey, can we discount this like super low, you know, and right. let them do that. And yeah. And if there's no sale, which nine times out of 10, there is a sale. Um, if there is no sale, publishers can run their own sales. They can literally just mm -hmm. be like, go on social media and be like, Hey, like all Pugmire books are, you know, 20% off. Like they can do whatever they want that's that's fine mm -hmm. um and yeah i mean like we oh gosh we have so many promotional tools um you can you got banners you have featured product messages you have um deal of the day which is you get yeeted into a queue you put a book in a queue and then you get like a 24-hour notice and then that book is on the front page and discounted yeah. um which is really really good we've seen a lot of success from that uh, of course, we do marketing too on our social media, um, mm -hmm. also to our newsletter that has 
a lot of people on it. I I have lost count um how many people that goes out to. That's every customer on Drive Through RPG that is that is opted in to receive emails. Yeah, I think last time we talked about it, like five digits or something. It's ridiculous. Like I think yeah. we might even be up to six digits at this point. Wow, that's so um, many people. Yeah. At, or even higher. I, I can't even, it's just a lot. It's a lot of people is the short version. So uh, yeah, so there's a lot of that, which is really great. And we are, our biggest thing is like, I always tell publishers and creators is that I don't make commission. Like I, I don't make commission. So mm-hmm. like, I am not trying to get you to market or, you know, sell your product for myself. I'm doing it because I want you to make money. Like that's, that's it. Like I I want you to make money. I want you to be successful and we'll do everything for that. On top of that, if like publishers reach out to us and they're like, Hey, like I have this book coming out. I don't really like know how to price it. Like we'll help you with that. Um, that's something that a lot of times, Mm -hmm. like we have new publishers who do that, who are like, Hey, I wrote this like 500 page book. Like, how do I, what do I do? Uh, (laughs) you know, like how do I, how do I sell? Um, and also too, like we have a couple things up on our YouTube as well of like what's good for descriptions, what's you know things like that, and like we are constantly available for publishers because we want them to succeed and we want them to you know have good things. I reach out to my own clients now too, like if I see something where I'm like, hey, like mm-hmm. maybe put a picture in your description might might help a lot. You know what I mean? Like it's just always we're always just trying to make sure that everyone gets like the max amount of money that they can. You know what I mean? Like that's important to us. And actually it, it, yeah, it's a great segue into uh, one of the final points I was going to make is that because drive through RPG has a, such a huge selection of options, you guys can do something that this industry has desperately needed for a very long time, which is actual market research. Mm-hmm. And you, sh- the fact you share that market research pretty freely, not only with your publishers, but also online, like, you know, do blog posts occasionally, videos, yeah. whatever, and talk about, this is what works. We have data to show this is what works. Yeah. So, you know, um, I remember, it's been a while now, but I remember Steve a long time ago, or Steve or Scott, one of them did a post about here's the price points and where things sell at. Yes. Scott, Scott Holden, our marketing manager slash expert did um four different pieces it's actually on our medium at medium.com backslash one blog shelf um yeah Yeah. and i said that correctly it's not it's not one bookshelf it's one blog shelf um scott (laughs) essentially did he broke like it's if you like data and you like crunching data like this is the stuff (laughs) for you when you when you get to our medium there is a there's a tab called pricing you click that and it will give you four different it says that I wrote it. It's just that I transferred it. Scott actually wrote it. Um, but it, I mean, it gives you graphs. It gives you everything from how sh- should you price something at $4.99 or $4.91 or $4.98? Like, why is that important? Um, you know, what should you be pricing your books? And here's the comparison to other publishers and st- stuff like that. So, like, it's really, really, yeah, we try to give as many resources as possible from our medium to our publisher knowledge base to our YouTube to just even on our discord as well. Like we're always just, yeah, that information is easy, like readily available. Um, Cause we don't want people like fumbling around in the dark, like and being like, I don't know what to do. Like, that's not fun. It's not fun at all. So right. yeah, that's something that, that we, unless you're in like a haunted on. house and yeah, well, cause it's spooky then season. It's yeah. <laughs> so you can fumble around the spooky sales one. Yes, hearing, but. you can fumble around get get some spooky prices and and we also have some freebies as well. Ooh, freebies. Freebies. Oh, that, that does remind me of one more thing is that um the other thing, uh, you guys also try to pioneer new formats um mm-hmm. which is something I find really fascinating. Again, we talked about print demand. It's so accepted now, but you know, 2009 it was a very new arena. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like much, much like there are still people out there whenever someone announces an RPG TV show who are like, but Kindred the Embrace though, there are still people out there who saw like the PODs from 10 years ago and they're like, the quality is not great. And it's like, yeah. they got a lot better. Like if I put my, I have Pirates of Pugmire in POD and trad print, for instance. Mm-hmm. And the only difference is a slight thickness and you can kind of tell on the pages. But like, if you step back from them by a foot and a half, or you know, if I hand one to somebody, they're not gonna know. 
Like it's it's the same book pretty much. Yeah, like um, I can tell a print on demand from a traditionally printed yeah. book, but that's because I've been looking at these things for twenty years. Yeah. Um, there's a, a, a Sherlock Holmes publisher, uh, so of course naturally I bought a bunch from them. Uh, but they have these hardcover books, uh, and I know they're print on demand because I've seen print on demand. But like, I don't think anybody else would notice that. And the fact is, like, they're hardcover books with slipcovers. I'm like, I've never seen Brendan Mail slipcover before. I mean, that's amazing, you know? So I'm like, it's constantly evolving. But, like, you know, even on top of that, um, you guys started doing the, these uh, uh, phone PDFs. And uh, I remember you reached out to uh, me and said, hey, can we use Pugmire? Uh, you, well, Drive Driver GH reached out to me. I was like, hey, right. can we use uh, Pugmire as a, a test? And I was like, yeah, sure, it's great. And so I said, and it was months of work. And I, I worked mm -hmm. with with uh, Pauline. They're a wonderful uh, person known for years. Uh, but they were asking me questions. Of, you know, what does this go? And what do we call this? How to make it work? And what kinds of things do people need to look up on a regular basis? So it was a, it was months and months and months of work for a PDF that we're giving away for free. But you know, it was something that your company believed in and wanted to get out there to see if it worked. Yeah, absolutely. And it and it does like. We still are like kind of in the earlier stages because we don't have a ton of phone PDFs, but I mean, like we have a lot of people. That's a train. Um, we have. <laughs> I live in Chicago. Um, we have a lot of people who enjoy it because one of the problems that I like all of us ran into is when we're at the table and you're on your phone, you're trying to like pinch and zoom and like, yep. you know, and being mm -hmm. like, oh gosh, where is this flipping mechanic? You know, and you're, you're flip it, it just takes up so much time. But with a phone yeah. PDF, you're like, I want to see, you know, uh, I want to see the mechanic, this mechanic in Pugmire. And you're just like, boop, boop. And it's done. It's condensed. And it's just in a very nice readable format. That is, it's great. You know? And, and I think that, Pugmire being essentially the first phone PDF and the pioneer of the whole program, I really set a precedent because it came out really awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, I will applaud Pauline because they're great. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's just it's nice and it's free. Like, that's the other thing, yeah. too, is like the Pugmire core rulebook for, you know, um, phone PDF is free and you can download mm -hmm. it and be like, cool, I have it at the table and just means that you can get to your game quicker and you can play longer essentially instead of sitting there being like oh my gosh and just flipping through pages and pages yeah right but that's not something that a particular publisher said i want to create this that's something that mm -hmm. you also i mean you guys even you've made and are selling your own tabletop role-playing games yes uh so i mean it, it, this is something that uh, i know that i'm always excited by and the fact that this is a bunch of people that said, we have found a certain market convergence that we can maximize our revenue mm -hmm. share by blah, 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 blah. You We're going to sell like this Steve. stuff. <laughs> well, right. It's almost like I know the guy. Yeah, I but, know. Steve. But Steve I mean, at the end of the day, Steve also goes home and plays D&D, &D, right? Yeah. At the end of the day, you run and play games. You know, mm -hmm. everyone involved loves tabletop role-playing games and they want the industry to do well. Yes. And so One Bookshelf consistently does things to try to make everything better. And a lot of times that leads towards making more money, which is obviously great. You're a business, sure. but sometimes it's just because it's something that needs to be out there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and we're constantly looking out into how we can make our site better. I know like just to touch on it, like we do have our preview site available. If you go to drivethroughrpg.com, it's a clickable mm -hmm. link at the top because we, we know that the industry evolves. We know that it evolves. Um, and we have a lot of different voices too on our team that, you know, really work well together. I mean, we mentioned Steve Wick, like Steve was one of the, you know, one of the reasons White Wolf exists, you know, and yeah. like, so he's been around for quite some time. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't mean it in that he's old or anything. Steve, if you're he listening, that's old. not what I mean. He's not <laughs> old. Um, <clears throat> he's older than me. That's old. Steve, you know, Steve Rich Wick. listens to this, right? I do. And he's also <laughs> Rich. Also, yeah. is very young. Um, <laughs> but the point is, is he is. You call he's very, him dad. I know. <laughs> I'm young too. Um, Man's got so, a grandchild. <clears throat> yeah. Well. Uh, anyway, uh, so the thing is, <laughs> the thing. No, Rich. Rich is one of the youngest. 
he's souls ever and he's so joyful and wonderful i love him so much anyway that's, point no, that's, that's all true um but no like steve brings that business aspect in uh you have right. scott holden who also worked for white wolf um and yep. he has that marketing edge you know pauline who we talked about pauline has laid out more books in their lifetime than probably anyone in this industry um and Pauline has laid them out like the old school way. Pauline has laid them out in the, you know, the current way. And that comes into the fold, you know? And so like we have all of these different aspects that we're always, always on the lookout, like, you know, on social media. And like, of course, when, when we could, and when we will be able to go to cons and stuff and seeing like what is new and what's good. And we adapt to that. Um, You know, another example is Lisa ran a, actual or not lisa ran an actual play but lisa did the tech work for an actual play on our Mm -hmm. twitch with a with a bunch of well-known people like because that's an adaptable thing like we know that people like actual plays and so we're like let's do an actual play with the feywild you know and that was lisa's idea and it it went really well um but that's that's kind of the thing is like what we pay attention to is we want new formats we want to be able to adapt we want to give people as many resources as possible. That's fantastic. So we are getting close to time. Uh, Dixie, is there any questions you had for Meredith? Yeah, I, this is something that we, we talked about. Like we like touched on kind of throughout the thing, but I know that there are a lot of people who self-publish or smaller publishers, people who do indie work, mm-hmm. and a lot of folks sometimes bulk at putting it on drive-through RPG for whatever reason. It's like mm-hmm. people think that because it's the main site, it's like. I don't know, the like Walmart of websites or something, which is obviously not true. Mm. Um, also, people seem to think that y'all have like 120 staff members. No. Um, <laughs> so if you could just do a quick pitch at the very end here for like what value putting something up on DriveThruRPG brings. Sure. Because a lot of folks don't understand it past like they take this percentage and I get X and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, to answer your first question real quick is we have uh, less than 30 people across our entire site and that includes customer service tech uh production and uh publisher services and that's across multiple sister sites so yes we are a very small team in comparison one two um what is the benefit so yes as dixie mentioned uh the royalty obviously is important we want to make sure you get paid mm-hmm. but the biggest thing that i'm gonna say about drive through is that we pride ourselves on our interactions with our clients and with our customers because we're not essentially if you reach out to us and you're like i'm having a problem with my book like you get an automatic response back right it is very we we strive to be extremely like personal uh and intimate and like talking to you and and helping you and making you feel comfortable that's we spend a lot of time making sure that our publishers understand how things work and and can ask whatever questions they want. We are happy to answer them. Um, but we have a ton of marketing tools I had mentioned at the top. Um, we want you to succeed. I mean, like that's like the biggest thing. Um, and, and that's through sales, our newsletter, our social media, uh, all sorts of different aspects that I cannot fit into one single thing. And it can be scary, right? When you get to drive through, you're like, holy crap, there are a lot of titles here, you know, like that, that can be very overwhelming. However, I look at all of these clients that came out of nowhere and they, they rock it to number one on their own. You know what I mean? Because they're, they're marketing, you know, on, and that's a whole other podcast about marketing. Uh, They're marketing well, they're interacting with the community. They talk to us as well. You know what I mean? Like where they say like, Hey, like, how does, how does my listing look? Um, or they take our advice and things like that, you know, when they're putting up their first products and like, yeah. So the big thing is, is like, I think overall the benefit is, is that you have a person, uh, whoever your rep's going to be, you have a person who is going to be with you the entire time and who is going to help you and is going to be available to you and and do whatever we can within our capacity to help you be successful as opposed to just you putting it up on a site like um any third party sites i won't name anything but our third but third party sites that have like customer you know just just customer service representatives not to mention like eddie said is that we're all in the industry 
um we love tabletop games like mm-hmm. we right. we know what to look for in tabletop games and that's super important to me and we have just a boatload of references and tools that will help you get there so yeah i think one of the most important things that drive rpg does for especially for smaller publishers um or like you know indie folks who are publishing their first game or what what have you is just getting eyes on it um because if i go to like other websites or if you're just trying to say like oh i'll just sell it through you know shopify or i'll do my own print on demand thing or whatever um you're you're, you're only really re- reaching out to your audience yeah. unless you pay for yep. a shit ton of advertising it's not in a lot of people's budgets no whereas if you put it on drive rpg like it's 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 at least guaranteed to be in the newest title section yeah um because that updates all the time mm-hmm. uh and also you can do things like meredith said put it in deal of the day you know add it to sales where people that may not have ever heard of it will then see it like there are a lot of companies that have just like sp- like i wouldn't have mentioned free league five years ago if you had asked me what some of the like more well-known rpg publishers were mm-hmm. and i would definitely say them now yeah um because they've you know they've they've done alien they've done Morkborg, they've done Nathan, like they've done all this stuff after Tales from the Loop. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, five years ago, I was like, well, there's Tales from the Loop and Tales from the Loop, or four years ago, whenever it was. Um, so, yeah, like I think y- you almost can't oversell the, you know, just, just getting eyes on a product does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that Absolutely. is such an important part of marketing because if no one's heard about it, they're not going to buy it. Exactly. Yeah. And I know that, like, um, uh, uh, to move into video game space, because a little, easier to talk about that without ruffling feathers, but like, you know, spaces like steam, (laughs) a lot of indie RPG, a lot of indie creators have talked about how it's really hard to discoverability on a platform like steam Mm -hmm. because they're just throwing files up and hoping to God someone finds their game. Right. Um, whereas a place like drive to RPG, like I said, you guys are invested, you know, it was a deal of the day. It's, it's a small thing, but like, you know, it's, that every day a bunch of people are getting emailed hey this thing's on sale and there's been a couple games that i'd never heard of and i find out through deal that's one of the reasons why i'm subscribed and it's like oh i didn't know this game existed that's kind of neat and a couple times i even buy them yeah. um so i mean it, it it's it's and the newsletters and the community stuff i mean the, the fact that you guys do that all and that's all rolled into the percent that you get mm-hmm. is a incredibly cheap deal thank you yeah yeah Definitely. Like, if I think about where I get most of my new video game recommendations these days, it's not like I just, like, yes, I do see things on the front page of Steam when they're there. Um, but I actually get a lot more stuff by either buying Humble Bundles and just having, like, 30 games where I'm like, I have all these games now, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or um, the free games on Epic Game Store. Which, mm-hmm. like, I don't let people get down on Epic Games. Whatever, that's fine. I don't care. It's just another platform. But, like, they give out free games every week. Yeah. And I have found so many games in there that I have then gone on to like buy the DLC for, mm-hmm. um, or you know do do something else, or, or like get it on Epic Games and realize I enjoy it more on my Switch and then buy it on Switch. But I got a free preview of it, and that's really important. And I feel like Drive RPG gives you that discoverability. Um, and most of their PDFs on there have a free preview, like you can yeah. download the first, you know one to 30 pages depending on the book i have seen previews that were like half the book and i'm like okay that's a hell of a I've preview seen, I've yeah i'll start preview that was the entire book right yeah it's it's that's the other thing too is like you're not just buying a book to see the first two pages like it's our our clients we try to encourage them to to have that preview and i also need to point out too that there's a lot of free stuff on drive through if you're just listening as like a customer there are oodles of free stuff and pay what you want um oh, yeah. on on drive through as well uh, that you can kind of make that work and there are even filters for it if you there's want to even click filters on free stuff. for it yeah exactly exactly um so yeah there's just customer and publisher benefit essentially is is everyone benefits everyone wins yeah totally thank you for coming on to talk about uh drive through rpg and art and great theme songs and all that fun stuff. <laughs> um, if people want to chat with you online, Meredith, where'd they find you? You can find me on the internet. Uh, Good job. Yeah, that's it. Oh, no. Uh, you, can find, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Meredith Gerber. Uh, you can find me on Instagram to see pictures of my cats, food uh, at Meredith A. Gerber. Uh, and then my website uh, for my non-drive through RPG stuff is Meredith Gerber as well. So I love that, like, 
I got the implied comma of like pictures of your cats, comma, and food. Yeah. But I like the idea of someone just posting a picture of their cat's food. Like every day. <laughs> okay. being every day. Like, being like, here's the disgusting slop my cats eat. It smells like fish. <laughs> I that, could. That's, that's amazing. And I, no. <laughs> I could, but my, my cats, when we give them wet food, because we switch back and forth, um, when we give them wet food, that is gone in seconds. So... You have time. I don't have time. It would just be a big <laughs> black blur um, or a big orange and white blur. So, yeah. There Love that. Mm-hmm. Well, Dixie, where would people find pictures of your cat's food online? <laughs> My cat's comma food. <laughs> uh, you can find me pretty much on all social media as Dixie Cyanide. That does include my Instagram if you want to see pictures of my cats uh, and sometimes their food, maybe. I don't know. I guess it's a picture <laughs> of their food. We can diversify. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. It's, it's not going to look appetizing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so find me there. Also, all often hanging out, usually hanging out in the Onyx Path Discord. Uh, so you can find me there, especially on the Onyx Pathcast channel, but also kind of all over. Awesome. Um, you can find me on the Onyx Path Discord as well in those similar spaces. Uh, you can also find me online at Pugsteady, uh, P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. You can also find me at Pugsteady.com. You can find most of us, not Meredith, the rest of us at theonyxpath.com. Although Meredith has worked on a few books for us, so you can find her there as well. Too, oh, yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, she was she was very very briefly one of our assistant art directors um, yeah and it was yeah. amazing and mike cheney is amazing yes and wonderful yeah so, mayor mayor didn't leave because she hated the work mayor left because she had like 17 jobs right oh yeah i should i should i should go on record <laughs> um i've i've worked i i did a lot of freelance work for onyx path for several years between social media um and assistant art director and I took on too many jobs. That is on me. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to leave Onyx Path, but it was a very, very positive experience. I have nothing but positive experiences for working with them. Oh, yeah, no, so. absolutely. And, and no. in fact, one of the last books you are directing is Squeaks in the Deep. So I'm very it happy. It is that Squeaks. It is a, Squeaks. My I'm last, good. oh, my last, last one is uh, Hunter's Second Edition. Is the last Damn one it. I worked All on. right. Well, one of the last ones is fine. <laughs> <laughs> it counts. It counts. Um, but anyway, uh, so you can find out more about Squeaks the Deep at PugCity.com or RealmsOfPugMire.com. Uh, I already said the thing about the Onyx Path. So with that, many worlds, one pathcast. Cast.